It's only one way to start today's show, I believe. What's that? Fun fact Friday results. I just I feel like we owe it to uh, the news listeners to let them know the result. You're really um, bad at hiding <laughs> hiding excitement and mirth in your voice. Because it's a great day. <laughs> I won. I won. I won. I've had a little bit of a drought recently, so very excited about this win. What was my fun fact again? Uh, it was reindeer. Rain, reindeer. Santa's reindeer. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and et al. are women. Mm-hmm. What was your fun fact? My fun fact was that Imogen, the name Imogen is a typo. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I liked my one better, personally, but, uh, you know... You would say that. Congratulations on your victory. If you want to move on, you know that all you have to do is say the intro and then you know, I'm, I don't get to talk about Fun Fact Friday anymore, so the choice is yours. Kia ora, this is News I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. Gene editing is back in the headlines, so is it an environmental solution or a Pandora's box? Also, new data suggests nearly a third of all Kiwi primary school principals want to quit, so we chat to one to find out why. We're catching you up on Donald Trump and his new federal charges. And plus, what are the rules around getting naked at the beach? We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Gene editing, a highly controversial topic, has roared back into the news agenda. Yesterday, Nationals leader Christopher Luxon told TVNZ Q&A that if elected, the National Party would relax regulations around gene editing and genetically modified organisms. The reality is we are well behind all the other OECD countries that have made tremendous advances in this space. Australia, the UK, the US, Japan, Argentina, the EU even, uh, are much more advanced from where New Zealand is. Proponents say this technology could help reduce our environmental footprint and stabilise food supplies, whereas opponents fear the potential unintended consequences here. So joining us now to explain a bit more about the tensions at play is Josephine Johnston from Otago University's Bio ethics centre. Kia ora, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us first of all, at a really basic level, what is gene editing? Gene editing is like trying to make specific changes to our genes or the genes of other organisms. And so then what are the potential benefits of doing that if it's used in positive applications, I guess? Sure. Well, so I think people can probably imagine pretty quickly that there might be benefits for people who have rare genetic diseases where the disease is directly caused by a particular gene or a particular gene variant. Um, most diseases that people suffer from are far more complicated than just one gene. So there's not, mm-hmm. It's you know, but that is the kind of like, textbook best case scenario but then there is possible applications in all other kinds of organisms as well so we can use it to change crops we could use it to change livestock animals we could use it to change introduced pests and so on the flip side what are the fears here what are people who are opposed to gene editing worried could happen because you can make changes there are things that you could change that wouldn't be beneficial so you could imagine making changes to a person that actually are not helpful for them, that actually cause disease or that cause them to lose function. And so there's a lot of concern that like when you make a change, you have unintended consequences or what's called off-target effects. So you make a change in one place, but it actually makes a change somewhere else as well. And you didn't mean that. And that could cause health problems. So there's just a lot of concern about whether, you know, do we really know really well how to use the technology in different organisms and developing the knowledge base and sort of testing and doing that 
in a way that's safe and ethical is like a big challenge. And then I guess there's sort of the kinds of changes that people might feel um, were just sort of morally questionable. So something like introducing a change into a livestock animal so that it can be more easily factory farmed. As it stands now, what are New Zealand's regulations and rules around gene editing like? Are they restrictive or are they pretty loose? There are quite a lot of reasons that people will pretty quickly be able to understand about why we might have taken a fairly kind of clean, green, kind of um, wait-and-see precautionary approach. So, yeah, we do have quite a restrictive regulatory landscape at the moment. Many scientists have been urging for like a, a more open conversation about this kind of stuff for a long time. Are you welcoming the conversation all in all? I've thought for a while, and I think lots of people think this is not just me, you know, that this needs revisiting. It's the kind of law, when you make a law that's so tied to technology, you definitely have to revisit it. There's no surprise there. I'm sure everybody anticipates that. I, I, I'm a little tiny bit nervous about it as an election topic because I don't know if that necessarily mm. engenders the kind of careful like deliberation of the topic. I'd like to see some nuance. I think we've had some nuance, but we, we, we probably need more. Josephine Johnson from Otago University, thank you so much for your time. Well, a crisis appears to be brewing when it comes to the leadership of our primary schools. A recent survey by NZEI Teruroa suggests close to a third of primary principals are considering leaving the profession within the next two years. They're holding a summit today to talk about the dire state of affairs and so we're joined now by the principal of Brunswick School in Whanganui, Jane Corcoran. Why are so many primary school principals wanting to leave? It's the work demands and um, if I look over the last couple of decades, how schools have changed is, is quite significant and the pressures and the the expectations that are put on school leaders have continued to rise, but their support has not moved with that. Jane, can you give us some sort of specific examples of positive changes that you think could be implemented in, in sort of the short term? I think, you know, principals take on a lot. Um, they care about everybody in their school, and that's the students, the staff, the school community. And I think... You know, it's not right that primary schools are staffed 30% less than secondary schools. So that's one thing that needs to be, that's a a solution that needs to be fixed that would make a huge difference. Because not all teachers, no matter how phenomenal they are, not all teachers can be principals, right? So being a principal, you've got to have so many qualities and so many skills. So the government needs to provide the correct supports for that and Becoming a principal in our education sector is a promotion, but at the moment it's not recognised as a promotion. We've got lots of principals in U1 to 4 schools that are actually earning less than a teacher is. It's an election year. A narrative that you do hear a little bit is, you know, these you know bloody teachers, education people, they're always grumpy, always asking for more. You know, why don't you just go and teach? I mean, what would you say to that kind of narrative that does spring up? I wonder what society would look like without good teachers and without good principals. Mm. I invite anyone to come into a school and spend a week working in a school um, and taking on the role of a teacher or taking on the role of a principal. Education isn't being valued how it should and how it used to be valued, and that needs to change. If we want our tamariki to have a great start 
in life if we want good citizens that give back and um, work hard for New Zealand, we need to invest. All of these solutions that I'm talking about today, they're actually an, an investment. They're not a cost, they're an investment. Jane Corcoran, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump is due to appear in court this week on criminal charges over his handling of classified documents kept at his Mar-a-Lago home in Florida. It's being described as one of the most significant legal developments since the former president left the White House. So Emile's going to give us a bit of a 101 here. What's this case all about? So when Trump left the White House, he decided to bring a few documents, some souvenirs from his time in the Oval Office. But you're not allowed to do that. Uh, Presidential documents have to be handed over. I mean, I've said a few documents... There were actually quite a few. It was more than 15 boxes worth, including nearly 200 documents that were classified in some way. Uh, The people familiar with the case have told The Guardian he's facing a number of charges, including willful retention of national defence information, conspiracy to obstruct justice, corruptly concealing a document, and the old classic making false statements. It's a list. Uh, Do we know what's in those classified docs? Not too many specifics at the moment, but the person leading this indictment listed some broad topic areas, and those were defence and weapons capabilities, both in the US and foreign countries as well, US nuclear programs, potential US and ally military vulnerabilities, and uh, plans for potential retaliation responses in the event of foreign attacks. So yeah, pretty meaty stuff, it's fair to say. Not the sort of things that you would want piled up in Trump's holiday home toilet. I don't know if you saw that photo. (laughs) His photos were very good. And I think somewhere like on the stage of a ballroom that he also has uh, in the house. Uh, So I mentioned before it's been called most significant development, legal development. Why are commentators or some commentators describing them that way compared to the other legal cases we know he has also faced. It's basically because this is the first time he has faced federal charges. Uh, So the US Justice Department has charged him rather than a state or an individual um, bringing a civil case against him. And it's also the first time a former president has faced federal charges. So big galactic deal, this one. And what has Trump, the man himself, had to say about everything? Well, of course, he's been magnanimous and said that he will, you know, respectfully. No, he hasn't at all. (laughs) He says it's a political attack. Uh, He's, um, I don't know if the phrase witch hunt has been used yet. If not, it's just a matter of time. (laughs) Um, Also, remember, I feel we've said this on the pod before, but it's worth mentioning again because it's wild, uh, even if he goes to jail for this. 
and he could go to jail for this, he could also still run for the presidency and then be the president <laughs> from jail. I just... <laughs> I think there's actually nothing that can shock me about that country anymore. What a time to be alive. There's a community of people who just really like being naked quite a lot of the time. The naturist community. And one place the naturist community tends to like getting nudie rudy is, understandably, the beach. But over in Queensland in Australia, a bit of a stoush is happening. Yeah, more than a dozen people at a well-known nudist beach, Alexandria Bay, have been fined for public nudity, sparked by a man who was arrested for inappropriate sexual behaviour at the beach. Now, the quote-unquote proper naturists aren't too happy about this. They are often at pains to point out their love of being naked is non-sexual and more about connecting with nature, but of course you do get bad actors. So that got us sinking. What are the rules here in Aotearoa, New Zealand? Joining us now is President of the New Zealand Naturists Association, David Saunders. Kia ora, David. Kia ora. Just out of curiosity, before we kick things off, how did you get into this lifestyle? Well, like most New Zealanders, in fact all New Zealanders, I was born naked and grew up in perhaps a a family where naturism was accepted. It uh, occurred from my early memories when we were living in Hanmer, where Father was the headmaster of the school. We used to go over to the thermal pools on a uh, regular basis. He did his pool duties there, and people swam naked in the pools. There was a male pool and a segregated one for females. So that was my first experience. We used to get very hot days in Hanmer in the summer, and my memories are of running around on the backyard at the schoolhouse with the sprinkler going, and it just seemed very natural to be able to uh, relax uh, without swimming costumes or togs on. David, I mean, what do you make of what's going on in Queensland here? Queensland is a very conservative society, and it's strange because they've got the climate and the uh, beaches that just are so well suited to naturist uh, lifestyle. Other states in Australia are far more liberal, so it, it was strange to see that they're cracking down on uh, Alexandra Bay, which has been a popular naturist um, beach for many, many years. In New Zealand, is public nudity illegal here? No, it's not. Um, the, the law allows you to be naked on a beach, provided you have no intention of setting out to offend uh, somebody by your behaviour. The best way I can explain that is that If you were to go to a recognised beach in your community where there would be lots of family, to strip off and parade naked amongst them is likely to cause you some difficulty and the police may, of course, be called. But if you were to use a beach which uh, is sparsely populated uh, and you simply choose to remove your clothing and go for a swim, it would be difficult uh, to prosecute that type of uh, case. David, you know, like it or not, a lot of people do link naturism with, uh, you know, to put it bluntly, sex stuff. Yes. And, and this must be a perception that you, as a community, really have to have to tackle, oh, I suppose. Clearly, we don't set out to offend people by 
uh, the fact that we enjoy being naked on the beach or at a, at a club. In my experience of the 20-odd clubs in New Zealand, it's frowned upon if there is behaviour that would be seen as uh, going outside the norm. And it's not a swingers club. Very interesting stuff. Uh, David Saunders, thank you very much for your time today. really appreciate it. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, 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 we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That on. sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Emil, I have a question for you. Fire away. Where do you keep your milk? Uh, I keep my milk in the fridge like any normal person, Imogen was. Yeah, but where in the fridge? In the milk shelf thing inside the door. In the door? Yeah, when you went to keep Uh, the milk. Ah, are you though? I ask, and I bring this up, because a scientist from the University of London has recently told the Daily Mail Mm. that people shouldn't be keeping any dairy products in the door of the fridge, i.e. milk, cheese, because it's actually the warmest spot of the fridge. Oh, for God's sake. So they say you should be keeping it in like the middle shelf, actually the shelf that's inside the fridge rather than a shelf that's in the door. Honestly. But why are they then making milk shelves? Where else would you put your milk? Listen to this nonsense. Don't keep your milk in the door of the fridge. Honestly, this is where this anti-expert sentiment's coming from in wider society, I reckon. <laughs> nonsense like this. Um, look, let me tell you, Mr. Professor Man, my milk is staying in the fridge, in the inside of the fridge door, and that's that's that. This really gets me going, this does. Like, it's kind of like when, um, like, I don't like it when people store butter in the fridge either. It's like, come on, butter needs to be room temperature, otherwise it's going to break up your bread. I am a butter in the fridge. What? However, I'm a butter in the fridge in the door of the fridge, yeah. so technically I'm, I'm storing it in the warmest part. Fair enough. Does that keep you happy? It does, yeah. Um, let us know where you keep your milk and other dairy products. We'll chuck a poll up on the Insta. I feel like I know where this one's going to go, though. It's going to be the door of the fridge. Yeah, it better be the door of the fridge, otherwise... God help me. Goodness me. This is going to require a full culture Far change, out. as they say. The show's really taken a tonal shift here on Emil Donovan's behalf, isn't it? I feel very curmudgeon at the moment. Uh, anyway, that is Newsable for today. I'm Emil Donovan. And I'm Imogen Wells. You can follow us on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. Vote on our polls. We chuck up a few behind the scenes bits and pieces of content every now and then. Find us on Insta and TikTok. We're under Newsable NZ. Or you can just hit us up directly or email us. Newsable at stuff.co.nz. Have a great day. And move your milk. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.